Hello and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We are kickstarting season 10, very exciting, where we will be looking at, dare I say, yes, the MCU universe, Marvel, how they did what many could have dreamt of to bring various characters that we love together in one movie. So for today's episode, episode 91, we shall look at where it all started, and that is the 2008 film Iron Man. Based on the comics by Stan Lee, of course, and directed by John Favreau, and starring Mr. Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, Jeff Bridges, and Paul Bettany as the voice of Jarvis. Where it all began with this 2008 action-adventure movie that just had to succeed for the world and producers to be like, okay, fine. We're going to invest in these crossover movies. The pressure to succeed was ridiculous. John Favreau went on record and said everything rode on what he did with this film, which is why the marketing for Iron Man was enormous. It just had to do well. Marvel was allowed to do original movies after they received a $500 million seven-year deal called a non-recourse debt facility, which meant Marvel wanted to have complete control over their characters, built-in archive, a film library with the hope of greater profit potential than the deals they've linked with other studios owning the film rights. Their characters like Gwen, Sony owned Spider-Man or Warner Brothers owned X-Men. Marvel also changed their brand name to Marvel Entertainment Incorporated to establish this presence in the Hollywood world, away from the big studios like Universal and Paramount. Basically, if Iron Man didn't succeed, Marvel would have lost all the intellectual property rights to their library, which meant goodbye Hulk, goodbye Thor, goodbye Hawkeye, goodbye Guardians of the Galaxy. But, as we know it, this story has a happy ending and the wager paid off because Iron Man was a box office success, which enabled Marvel to kickstart this thing as we know as the MCU, a Marvel cinematic universe consisting of interconnecting films and characters and series on a mass scale, something that hadn't been attempted before on this level. And fast forward 13 years later, and it's quite easy to say, well, they did pretty well. We all know this wouldn't have happened without someone, and that person actually is not Robbie Downey Jr., but John Favreau, who you may know as Pete from Friends. He's in most films of Vince Vaughn since they grew up together, a recognisable, lovable face. This man was the person in charge of getting the right guy for Tony Stark, a lovable, arrogant, egotistic billionaire. Interestingly enough, he plays a very similar character in Friends. If you're a fan of Friends, I mean, I'm pretty sure most people are. He plays a billionaire, egotistic in ways, even sports the same facial hair that Tony Stark does, and both of them give up their company to fight. Now, if you don't watch Friends, then you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But let's go to Robert Downey Jr. As we know, before you know, before Iron Man, he was you know an actor. Uh, he was known in the uh, Hollywood world. Um, Unknown, I'd say, to the teen demographic, known to the adults as a great actor with a great family, but unfortunately the headlines around him were mainly negative. His issues with being incarcerated on rehab, a drug addict, all these things didn't really go down well with the producers when John Favreau mentioned his name. I mean, the guy was an Oscar-nominated actor. He actually got an Oscar nomination for playing Charlie Chaplin, a really good portrayal. He was really good in it. The guy was talented, but he had personal issues. Now, John insisted that this was the guy for Tony Stark. He felt the actor's pass was exactly what this character needed. He says, and I quote, the best and worst moments of Robert's life have been in the public eye. He had to find an iller balance to overcome all these obstacles he's gone through within life, and he had done so. 
And it was the film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that sold the fruit. It kind of sort of cemented the decision that John Favreau had made to the producers for, you know, Robert to play uh, Tony Stark. And they would see what Favreau was getting at when they watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Great film with Val Kilmer. Uh, the film actually is directed by Shane Black, who went on to direct the third Iron Man movie. But yeah, they eventually went with Robert Downey Jr. That was Tony Stark personified. What he was looking for was this depth, this character that goes beyond a comic book character having trouble at school or being bullied or can't get the girl. No, this was a totally different pedigree. This was a complex character to get right and had to be thought through well. And of course, as Favreau says, he's a likable arsehole and that was very important. He can win the audience while still being a dick. Not many people can probably do that on screen. I mean, from the top of my head, only a few people could maybe pull that off. I mean, Bill Murray can sort to do it and that's about it i mean you need that air of arrogance but also have that other side of him which depicts an authentic emotional journey and you've just got to love him i mean other actors were eyed up for the role uh timothy oliphant uh the guy who played hitman and hugh jackman but he was well into playing wolverine at the time it's very hard to imagine anyone else playing stark after rdj the two actors actually that favreau had his eye on was clive owen and sam rockwell which is actually quite interesting clive owen was one of the favorites to play bond but lost out to daniel craig it was between clive owen and daniel craig and he apparently uh was also third on the list to play iron man so extremely lucky unlucky guy clive owen sam rockwell was the second choice for um iron man for tony stark and they loved his audition so much that they actually casted him in the second movie as stark's rival justin hammer in iron man 2 his wife is actually in the movie and the second movie leslie bibb who is the reporter who works for vanity fair in the movie in the comic books actually she works for the daily bugle you may recognize that paper outlet a certain peter parker photographs for them so now I mentioned how much pressure they had in making sure this movie is right. Well, I didn't have, they didn't even have a completed script when the filming started. So they were so focused on the story and the action and the CGI, they were completely putting the script to one side. With that in mind, Favreau knew this and would often film RDJ with two cameras to try and get something new. And most of his lines actually were quite improvised. He found that quite easy to do, whereas Gwyneth Paltrow had a difficult time matching Robert Downey Jr.'s sort of improvisational skills. Jeff Bridges, um, who plays Obadiah Stane, an Oscar winner, like Gwyneth Paltrow, was quite uncomfortable with no script uh, or rehearsal since he, you know, he's usually very prepared for a scene. He called it a $200 million student film. When Favreau was like, just have some fun of it, it took the pressure off him a little bit and it made it fun and he was really good in this movie. I mean, with all the improvisations in the movie, you know the last line where he goes, I am Iron Man, when he completely just says, look, this is the, this cover-up story is absolute BS, I'm Iron Man. That was completely improvised by Robert Downey Jr. and it was left in the movie thanks to the producer Kevin Feige, who everyone knows now as the man behind Marvel, who said that he wanted this to be... You you know, he wanted the, the whole superhero thing to be done with secret identities and to enter this new age of superheroes where everyone is sort of open with who they are. And speaking of last scenes and things, the Nick Fury scene was done in secrecy with a skeleton crew so as little people knew about it, which would then start the tradition of scenes after the credits amongst other traditions like Stanley's cameos. In this one, he plays Hugh Hefner and goes on record and saying this is his most fun cameo in all of the Marvel movies. Not surprising since he's got like three hot women around him. I think they only hide the identities in... I think just Spider-Man and that's about it. Everyone else is pretty open about who they are. Uh, well, until the new Spider-Man where his identity is revealed thanks to Mysterio. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so I like the way they've done it. You know, when you watch the Batman movies or the old Superman movies, everyone's so fascinated with who Superman or Batman is. But this Marvel universe, everyone knows who Iron Man is or Hulk or Thor. You know, everyone's completely open of it. 
So Paul Bethany, who goes on to play Vision, um, is actually the voice of Jarvis, uh, who's never seen uh, on the film. It's just his voice. And John Favreau has a small scene in a film called Wimbledon with Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bethany. Great film. I think it came out like four years prior to Iron Man's release of the film with um, about tennis. Got Sam Neill in it as well. And he asked him during filming if he wouldn't mind just recording a few lines for him for this movie that he's doing. He didn't even yet know it was Iron Man. And Paul Bethany said that Jarvis was the easiest job he ever did. He worked for two hours and got paid a lot of money. Interestingly enough, his wife, Jennifer Connolly, would do the AI voice in Spider-Man Homecoming. I think her name is Friday, uh, something like that. So that's got interesting as well. I only found out the other day that Jarvis is actually an acronym, not just a name. So it, it stands for Just a Very Intelligent System. And if you've read the comics, you'll know it's a tribute to the butler of Howard Stark, who is called Edwin Jarvis, who makes an appearance in Endgame. So they thought about having an actual butler play Jarvis instead of an AI, but they wanted this sort of standalone from other comic book movies. I mean, you know, like Batman had Alfred and you got to have some, a few others who've got their, like, uh, their helper, but they wanted like a, you know, just a AI, something different to stand alone from, you know, what has already been seen. So a bit of background, Iron Man's first made his appearance in the world in 1963 in a comic book called, funnily enough, Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man founded the Avengers in the comic books like he does in the films, but in the original comics, the Avengers are actually Thor, like in the in the films, Ant-Man, Wasp, and Hulk. Those are, those are like the original Avengers, which is quite interesting. Stan Lee said he wrote the character based on Howard Hughes, who he felt was one of the most colourful men of his time, an inventor, an adventurer, a multimillionaire ladies' man, and finally, and more crucially, a nutcase. So Tony, much like Bruce Wayne, is a billionaire who doesn't have any superpowers, however, possesses a genius syndrome where, in the comics, graduated from MIT with multiple degrees when he was 21 years old. Also in the comics, and we see this spread throughout the MCU universe, he has specialized suits for other environments like deep sea diving and space travel and the uh, extreme cold climates as well. I mean, the, re- the reason, actually, in the comics, he was forced to build the suit, and I think the reason he builds it in this movie as well um, is because he has a piece of shrapnel near his uh, heart his magnetic chest plate is the thing that keeps the shrapnel from reaching his heart and killing him in the comics he must recharge the chest plate every day or die something that is briefly shown in the movies um i think a few little alterations from the comics to the books i mean obadiah stain in the comic ran his own company in the comics it was called stain international in the book um that's what happens in the movie is just part of stark enterprise obviously the big change is the time period i mean iron man is um, you know, came out in like the 60s. So in the comic books, he fought in Vietnam and then got captured in this movie. It was the Gulf War, but they changed the origin to Afghanistan because they wanted to have more of a realistic contemporary look and not make this movie a period piece, considering the special effects and fresh banter involved in this movie was on a high. So they thought, okay, let's not do 2002, 2003. Let's go a bit further, you know, just, just do Afghanistan and just uh, make it more contemporary. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow actually asked Marvel to send her all comics to do with Iron Man and her character Pepper Potts uh, to better understand the role. She hadn't read anything about it. I mean, she said the only reason she took the job was because the studio was a 15-minute drive from her house, which was a great thing for her so she could stay home with the kids sometimes as well, which is awesome. And I think the original choice, the first choice for Pepper Potts was Rachel McAdams. But she was tied up with another movie, but she did end up playing another character in the MCU universe, playing the love interest uh, for Doctor Strange. And another interesting thing in the comics, and it may answer why he's called Happy, is that Harold Happy Hogan, as he is fully called, classic comic book standalone names of alliteration, is a confidant of Tony Stark, who actually later marries Pepper Potts, alliteration again, after a tragedy draws them closer together 
and then they later divorced. So it's a very interesting dynamic there. Pepper Potts' real name in the comic books, if anyone knows this, this is a really good pub quiz question, is actually Virginia. Just like Happy's is called Harold and Tony's as well. Anthony, and that one's a bit more obvious. Curiously, though, this isn't the only time Gwyneth has played someone with an alliterative name. And more curiously, isn't the first time those alliterations were P as well. She plays someone called Polly Perkins in Sky Captain and A World of Tomorrow, which came out just four years prior to Iron Man, featuring future MCU actors Jude Law and Angelina Jolie, one in Captain Marvel and the other in Internals. Anyways, going back to Happy Hogan, the reason why they call him, by the way, played by the director, by the way, John Favreau, <laughs> the reason they call him Happy was because that he was a former professional boxer who earned that nickname due to his reputation of never fighting back, which explains why he's the sparring partner in Iron Man 2 and knows what he's doing. And if you've watched the new Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Tang Rings, which is actually on Disney at the moment, you'll see or notice the name of the gang that captures Stark in the beginning of the movie are called the Ten Rings rings obviously a big setup for whoever the mandarin is meant to be but i won't go into that yet just in case you haven't seen 10 rings now an interesting piece of information from the movies you may notice and you will notice again with the incredible hulk that we have actors playing characters and unfortunately depending on your opinion do not reprise their role now terence howard who plays colonel james Rhodey in this film is now played by don Cheadle after taking over in iron man 2 sort of the James Bond moments in terms of inconsistency of actors playing roles. Now, what's interesting about this is that Terence Howard was the first actor cast in the Iron Man movie, and he was also the highest paid actor on set, given that Robbie Downey Jr. was hardly a bankable star at the time. I think they actually didn't give his salary until after the movie, just to make sure that he was fully committed to the movie. He might not relapse and go into drugs again, but he didn't. I mean, this film made him, you know, one of the biggest, highest paid actors to come. So the studio actually promised Howard a free picture deal, but Marvel never commented on why he didn't reprise his roles in the later movies. It was later revealed that he was offered a much lower salary for the second movie, which is to accommodate for Robbie Downey Jr.'s increased paycheck, which is understandable. So Iron Man is the first movie in the famous Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although some of the later movies, Captain America and Captain Marvel, would take place earlier in the chronology. Iron Man kicks off Phase 1, which consists of Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, and finally The Avengers, spanning from 2008 to 2012. We are currently now in Phase 4. We've actually just finished Phase 4, which kicked off... Uh, with Black Widow in July 2021. So far in Phase 4, we have Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and the Legend of the Ten Rings and the Eternals. The others will be Spider-Man No Way Home, which comes out in about, well, by the time this comes out, in about four days, coming out December 17th or 15th. can't remember which one it is, but it's, it's coming soon, less than a week. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, The Marvels, Guardian of the Galaxy 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and the last one to end Phase 4, the one that hasn't even started filming yet, and for me the most anticipated one yet, Fantastic Four. Who will play Mr. Fantastic? Who will play the Invisible Woman? I can't wait. So that's due for release in 2023, which means from Iron Man's release of Fantastic Four, the MC Universe would still be going, uh, yes, it will still be going even after 15 years and going strong. Who'd have thought it after Iron Man was released in the cinema in 2008? Who'd have known? So an interesting thing to notice that this is the only MCU movie not to feature a martial art of any kind, which is a random fact, but 
there you go i'm full of random facts but yeah like i said earlier the film was extremely successful it was the first film in 2008 to pass the 300 million mark at the box office and remember this is the year that twilight came out wally came out another mcu uh, mcu movie came out the incredible hulk which will be episode 92 for my podcast the fourth indiana jones movie was coming out the much anticipated the dark knight with heath ledger's iconic performance as the joker came out that year it was a massive year in 2008. It actually was ranked the second highest grossing movie of that year, just behind The Dark Knight. So it was an incredibly successful year for Iron Man and just for superhero movies in general. The budget was huge. I think it was $140 million. So it doubled its money and a bit more. I think it grossed around $600 million on a global scale. So it was just a kickstart that MCU Universe needed. So the film was even nominated for two Oscars, the best visual effects and the best sound editor, and didn't win either. I think the only MCU film to ever actually win an Oscar was Black Panther, where it only got, also got nominated for Best Picture, which was massive, absolutely massive, because you don't get films like comic book movies get nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. So like fairy tales and fables, comic books have this structure of storytelling where there is a nice bookend moment to drop some key life lessons to the audience with the over-the-top circumstances that these humans possess, whether it's the ability to build or simply put superhero powers. Now, in this movie, the goal is simple. The villain and the hero is trying to maintain power and wealth, which are the goals to capitalism. The classic tale of money cannot buy happiness, but that money is usually the basis of the world. But sometimes you need to take a moment of pause, and although it doesn't exploit this, but the less money you have, the more intimately happy you are. And that's what Tony starts to realize. I mean, the big main thing here is Yinsen's character, who is the captive with Tony in the cave, and says that all-important line before he dies, which is, don't waste it, while pointing to his chest. Much like how the Doctor says the same to Cap when he dies. Now, Tony has the ability to change the world through his money, his talent. He has a responsibility that he has never exploited. Now, after Afghanistan, he is a changed man and uses his talent for the good instead of for himself. Classic tale of man versus himself. Tony confronts his own lifelong commitment to developing weapons and decides it's not the way for him anymore to do, but now literally risking his own life to help others. Now, what Tony Stark is so good at portraying here and why I think he's such a loved character as well is that you can be a hero even if you're flawed. And the entire 26 movies in the MCU universe, we see him go through it. It doesn't happen in one movie. It's baby steps. And in this movie, it's decided to seize ties with his company and build in a suit that can help people. He's still learning, adapting. And another message I love that the producer mentioned is that, you know, you can find family anywhere. I mean, he was responsible for, you know, Ultron. He's still making mistakes, but he's learning and he's trying to help. He's, you know, learning with Cap as well. And it's a good relationship that they have and with all of them. And it's a good way of seeing how a person can change. And you're not always going to get it right. And that's what Tony chose to the audience. And that's why he's so relatable, so likable. But he means well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the MC universe usually works on themes, just like most movies. Every single film has a particular theme. I mean, with Iron Man and its sequels, it's about technology and weaponry. The Incredible Hulk is about nuclear power and mutation. Captain America and its sequels are about experimentation and espionage. Thor and its sequels is obviously about mythology and religion. Guardians of the Galaxy are about cosmic beings and extraterrestrial life. Ant-Man's themes are about telepathy and the controls of animal. Doctor Strange hovers around the subject of magic and witchcraft. The Avengers are simple, an invasion. And the second Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, is about AI, artificial intelligence. So you can see that the producers of Marvel have a vision and it's well thought out. And I'm very excited to see how they develop these characters after the loss of some people, like I won't say. But I mean, if you haven't said spoiler alert... 
Captain America's gone, Iron Man's gone, Black Widow's gone. So what happens now? Where do we go from there? The one where it all began in, in this one was no question. This was a career defining role for Robbie Downey Jr. and a breakthrough movie in terms of setting the mark and pace for this wonderful MCU universe. Anyway, that's all I have time for with Iron Man, truly remarkable, revolutionary and beyond all else respected. How's that for alliteration? Anyway, you can subscribe to me on iTunes, Google, Spotify and Amazon Play. And you can also follow me on social media. I'm usually floating around on Instagram. That's Film Exploration, A-H or lowercase or one word. But once again, thank you for tuning in to the start of Season 10 with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. <laughs>